Hello and welcome to the Sweeper Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hall. How are we doing? Fantastic. Yourself? Good yeah, weekend? Not, yeah, not too bad, thank you. Yeah, I went to uh, to watch some live football this weekend. Took yeah. in the uh, the FA Cup first round tie between Bradford City and, uh, and Chesterfield. Yeah, Lovely stuff. I look forward to hearing a little bit more about that later on. I did absolutely nothing, just watched football all weekend, it was brilliant. Just sat on the sofa loving life? Pretty much, Fantastic, yeah. okay. dreamy. And one of the games I watched, let's get into it, was Manchester City 3, Arsenal 1. And it was uh, yeah, it was an interesting game, it was Man City still unbeaten in the league this season, and I think on paper it was a comfortable win, but I, I do actually think it's probably one of their more difficult days at the office. Yeah, I don't think that 3-1 really tells the uh, the no. full tale of this game, does it? Arsenal did have chances, and I think they, they, they did play quite well. Um, an interesting decision from from Wenger to uh, to start with Coughlin as part of a back three. Yeah, um, Didn't really see that one coming, and obviously to leave Lacazette and Giroud on the bench didn't necessarily show a huge amount of um, willing to go there and get a result, but... I think they sort of defied logic, really, and did okay. Um, obviously, looked better when Lacazette came off the bench and got the goal. But I think Guardiola, Guardiola will probably have stuff to take away from this game. Um, you sort of look at the other results that they've got, and he's probably thought that some of them have been almost perfect performances. But yeah. but this sort of showed that there are areas of weakness that, if a team gets it right on the day, they can exploit. Well, that's it. I think Arsenal almost matched them for for certainly a long period of the game for the pressing and. You know, they really put them under pressure at times. And I think the the problem that Arsenal had is they kind of lost that composure through the game, whereas I think City actually gained composure and and they became a lot more comfortable on the ball. And particularly the last third of the game was, you know, it looked very, very easy for them. And I think that's possibly the main issue that Guardiola will look at and think, actually, if somebody does this for 90 minutes against us, are we actually going to struggle going forward? Yeah, I suppose it's just making sure that they don't allow complacency to sort of slip into their performances. And um, I don't think that will happen because Guardiola is such a perfectionist and you sort of see how animated he gets on the sidelines and and how he really drums it into his players in every single phase of the game to sort of stay on top and, and just concentrate through that. But I suppose one thing that we've seen from City so far is that players missing have been replaced by almost equal if not better performances and um, you you sort of look at the likes of uh, Aguero and um, and also players like like De Bruyne who when they don't play you've got Gabriel Jesus who can come in you've got Bernardo Silva who can come off the bench and that that squad's just got so much quality. Yeah it's fantastic and I think you know that will surely see them through until the end of the season you know they've already got I think it's eight points now yeah it's an eight point cushion over United yeah which is huge isn't it really at this stage of the season I think particularly when you look at the start of the season we're looking at you know we almost can't call whether it's going to be Manchester City or Manchester United that win the league and now you think if it carries on this way you know they could potentially win the league by 20 odd points well you say that but I mean look at look at what happened to Newcastle back in the 90s they had a huge lead didn't they and um in the in the key they, they also had Kevin yeah, Keegan yeah, as a manager yeah they did have big Kev but I mean I, I I think it's far too early to sort of write any other teams off at this yeah. stage but but yeah the uh, the Manchester City juggernaut just just keeps rolling doesn't it absolutely and and the goals there was uh, so a couple of question marks, certainly around the penalty, which uh, was a penalty. End uh, of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, don't listen to Arsene Wenger if you, if you want uh, an alternative view on that. Then uh, yeah, it, just just get a grip. You know, yeah, I think he's very much deflecting away from the fact that his team lost. Um, and then if we move on to the offside goal, which uh, you know you and I exchanged a couple of texts about yesterday, and I think we both raised some good points about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you raised a very good point, which was you played to the whistle, and and Arsenal didn't really do that, no, did they? They not they switched off, and you look at the experience that they've got in their in their defense 
defensive um, unit and you would expect them to, to sort of stay switched on and and no, they just went to sleep and allowed Silva to play a really easy ball across for, for Jesus and it was on a plate, you couldn't really miss it. Um, I do think it was offside. Yeah, I've seen it since. I've, I've obviously seen what the pundits and, and even the referee pundits have said as well and you know, I, I, I get it. I can see kind of why the linesman's not give it. I think nine times out of ten he probably does give an offside. Um, but that's what happens, you know, it's part and parcel of the game and, you know, we, we have to move on and, and ultimately, like like we've just said, you do play to the whistle and it's very, very naive from Arsenal to think that they can put their hands up like they used to do in the early 90s and get the offside decision. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it just shows Arsenal defensively frail again yeah. um, and that that gap is getting even bigger between the sort of real top teams in the Premier League and, and Arsenal. You sort of thought that in bringing Lacazette in this season and holding on to Sanchez and Ozil that they'd be able to do something, yeah. but... Um, that that Everton game apart, they just haven't really looked up to it, have they? And um, I'm sure they'll get their their sort of top six position as they as they always do. But you just wonder whether the top four might be a little bit too much of a step for them this season, and whether they should maybe put more eggs in the Europa League basket. Can I just say before we move on that I hate the fact that Fabian Delph is playing well. Um, naturally, it was a. a a difficult one for him to leave Villa and, and under the circumstances where he said he was going to stay and a matter of days later left. Uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't great and obviously he's had a, a couple of injuries, a couple of really bad injuries as well while he's been at City. And You know, fair play to him for coming back and it, yeah, it really does irk me that he's playing so well, especially in a, you know, a position that he's not used to as well. Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it, when uh, it's it's almost like splitting up with an ex yeah. with an ex girlfriend yeah. and then seeing her with with a better looking fella. It's uh, it's never a nice thing, but 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 it happens. Believe me, being a Southampton fan, there's a lot of a uh, lot of ex girlfriends in the uh, <laughs> in the Premier League top six. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to uh, the the other Super Sunday game. Uh, Chelsea beat Manchester United one nil, and it was uh, yeah, it was a, it was a really good game. And I think you know for a one nil. Um, it, it wasn't quite what you expected, certainly from Mourinho, anyway. No, absolutely not. Um, he, he sort of showed a little bit more, didn't he, in this yeah. game? Um, set his team out probably looking for a result, knowing full well that the gap was starting to grow between them and City. And um, it... it it was a it was a difficult one to start with because you, you almost weren't sure which way it was going to go. The no. first sort of five minutes, you you could just tell the teams were trying to work one another out and sort of see how 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 they were going to approach it. But um, no, I think I think one thing that I noticed at this game and you don't often notice it was the atmosphere at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, um, it was brilliant. They were absolutely behind the team, behind the manager, and I think players get an extra sort of five ten percent from that when you've got. Um, the crowd behind you, and I mean, you saw it when Leicester won the league a few years ago, uh, two two seasons ago yeah. now. That their their crowd at times just pulled them through, um, and and I think that had a big impact on on the game yesterday. Yeah, I mean, as as we say, the the game I think probably helped that as well. It was quite an open game, and there were chances, and you know, in in the sixth minute, there's a very very questionable decision given against Chelsea, where Phil Jones was. Uh, you know, he's, he's unbalanced to say the least, and he scored an own goal. But it's a judge to be a, a push from Morata. Yeah, never a free kick. No, um, he's he's massively great got out finish, of jail. Though, yeah, 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 yeah. Cracking finish, and um, another example of, of of a Phil Jones facial after that one as well. <laughs> he the look of terror on his on his face as that ball rifled into the top corner was uh, was unbelievable. And and yeah, the referees massively bailed him out because I think, like you said, he was just off balance. I don't think that there was a there was a push in there. I think it was just a bit of a coming together, and he loses his foot in and, and yeah he absolutely slammed it past ahead didn't he yeah but the uh the the winning goal from Morata uh, another header from another Azpilicueta cross fantastic class all around for me it was uh, a wonderful ball in um I 
you know, the relationship we've said before a few times that they obviously, you know, they must work on it. It must be something that's quite instinctive between the two of them. But the header is a proper centre forward's header. He's, you know, he's, he's off the ground. He's guided it into the opposite corner. Fantastic class. Yeah, it's one of those where you just generate the power from the yeah. cross, don't you? You don't really have to do do a huge amount with it. Just just sort of head it back in the direction that it came from, and 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 he made it look really easy. Um, but but that's that's going to be probably one of the headed goals of the season. You're not going to see many better than that, and it meant so much to him as well. You could see sometimes yeah. Morata's celebrations previously have been a little bit muted, and um, I guess when when your team's winning by by a few goals, then naturally that's the way to to react. But it just meant so much to him. All, all, all the Chelsea players were. Were together when they scored that goal, and and I know that we're going to come in and talk about David Luiz in a second, but it's something that we discussed on the podcast last week. Whether there was something behind yeah. the scenes that was going on at Chelsea, and things are starting to come out now, aren't they? Between um, between Conte and and David Luiz, and, and potentially a couple of the players being upset about the uh, the the approach to games. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether while he's away in international duty, I'm guessing he's he's back in Brazil, but he might get a text message of Conte just like Costa did. Um, <laughs> Don't come back. Stay exactly. There. Yeah, but. Uh, I, what I did want to say is that I thought the Chelsea midfield yesterday was superb. Um, Kante was back in the side, which always makes a massive difference. And, you know, he, he can go into any game and you don't really notice he's there, but actually he's been one of the best players on the park. Um, and, and Fabregas as well. I think Fabregas was kind of on his way out a couple of years ago. And he's, he's this season in particular, he's, he's been really, really good. And he was absolutely the linchpin yesterday. And he uh, allowed Bakayoko with that ridiculous hair to almost play as a number 10, which I, I didn't necessarily expect from him, to be honest. I thought he'd be the one sat there with Kante, and I think potentially Manchester United did as well, and they, they possibly ignored that. And Bakayoko had some really good chances in the first kind of 10, 15 minutes that you know maybe on another day he takes, or, or maybe someone with that extra attacking prowess scores. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, just to sort of go back to your point on, on Fabregas, I think that he is one of these players who tends to sort of look a little bit off the pace sometimes because it, I don't think that pace is his main attribute. But he his eye for a pass is is pretty much second to none in the yeah. Premier League. It sort of you look at somebody like like Metta Ozil and these sort of players who are able to just thread the ball into gaps that you just don't really see as other players. You, you put somebody like like David Silver or, or De Bruyne in that category as well. And they're um yeah they're, they're just such assets to teams in that in and around that area, who do tend to have more time on the ball. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was lovely to watch, and you know, it's a big result for Chelsea, and I think Manchester United potentially will look at that as a, a disappointment. Um, I, I just want to ask before we move on, what what's going on with Lukaku? Yeah, I, I mean, we've discussed this, haven't we, recently? Because he's he's in a bit of a drought, and the only thing that I can sort of look at is the fact that Paul Pogba's not played for about. Well, for a similar amount of games that Lukaku's not scored in. Now, you wouldn't necessarily think that one player could make the difference for somebody else, but you go back to the point on Azpilicueta and Morata, and and there are are often these partnerships in teams that can go unnoticed until one of them is out. And you just wonder, I know Pogba's back in training now, you just wonder whether his return will coincide with Lukaku returning to form. I think that... um, he he will welcome the international break because it will give him a chance to forget about club football for a couple of games and, yeah. and, and hopefully try and find some form in those. And um, you'd expect with the amount of goals that Belgium score that he's got a decent chance of getting on the score sheet. But no, he's just he's just looking a little bit off the pace, isn't he? And um, obviously he hit the ground running at United and that's something that he would have been over the moon with. But it's it's all about maintaining that form at a top, a, a, a top four club. And we talked at the start of the season and said at Everton, you can go a few games without yeah. scoring and the pressure's not on you as much. With United it is 
season and if he doesn't score for the next couple of games then it wouldn't surprise me to see him dropped. Well that's it and I think you know he's almost set the expectations so high with this start that we expect him to then score every single game and when he doesn't and when you are in a you know more of a spotlight position you're going to get found out but speaking of Everton his former club they uh, had a, had a great win yesterday and it was a, it was very much a game that they they looked out of and uh, they ended up going on to win 3-2 against Watford. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was a, a, a real sort of topsy-turvy game, wasn't yeah. it? And um, Watford went 2-0 up and, and you sort of thought that would that would be that and, and, and David Unsworth would be out of a job and, and Everton would be sort of rooted to the uh, to the relegation zone. But no, three relatively late goals. I know that the uh, there, was, there was a lot of stoppage time at the end of this game, yeah. wasn't there? And um, but I, I just I don't really know where to start. Well, there was so much stoppage time that I'd already thought they'd won three two with nothing else happening. So I kind of turned everything off and put it down. And then when I watched the highlights again today before this pod, I realised that Watford had missed a penalty. That oh, I had no idea about. Yeah, two it's two just... completely sort of contrasting penalties yeah. as well. So much pressure on Leighton Baines at the end there, and um, he could have sort of cowered under that and 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 really struggled. And then cleverly, really, you think you've got. No real pressure on you, and, and to to put it that far wide was horrendous. It was just it's one of the worst penalties I think I've ever seen. You just, I still find it really hard to understand how you miss the target. Yeah. Um, I, I can understand a goalkeeper making a great save from a penalty, but to to not hit the target's just um, it's embarrassing, really, isn't it? And it um, is. but yeah, I mean, just sort of going back to to what we were talking about previously. I think when Watford went into that two goal lead. They looked commanding. They didn't look under any pressure. Everton weren't creating anything, and it's that sort of age-old cliche. You need one to go off, uh, go yeah, in off yeah. someone's ass. And the one that went in off um, Nias when he went through was was a lucky goal, and it, it really sort of fired the Everton fans up. And there was just so much momentum in their favour. And then, yeah, the way it swung back to, or, or, or it looked like it was going to swing back, where. Uh, where Cleverly missed that penalty. It was just it was what the Premier League's all about, really, wasn't it? It was. And I think Everton will definitely use this as a bit of a turning point for the season because there were fans leaving when they were 2-0 down. And, you know, they after that first goal, you could see it was just like Goodison Park at its best. The crowd behind them and they, they were genuinely excited and they thought something could happen. But I mean if you even if you look at the start of this game, I think Everton looked a lot more direct than normal. Um and I think, you know, with that in mind, they uh, you know, created more chances, and and if they had to be direct, they were more than happy to do that. And I think that's part and parcel as to why some of the fans were, you know, they were reacting positively because they thought, do you know what? Actually, let's just lump it up there if we have to. Let's just get it in the box. We've changed the system. We've got a really good chance of doing it, and there was some belief there. But I think you know, one thing I was going to say is that Watford are two 0 up. Look and see the game out, and you know, ordinarily. And as they've shown over the previous few weeks, Silver would make the changes to, to manage that game. And I think one big loss yesterday was Troy Deeney, who's obviously suspended for three games following his altercation against Stoke with Joe Allen. But he gives them that option of kind of strength and power and experience to hold the ball up, take it away from danger. And yeah, they, they really missed that yesterday. The equaliser. Yeah. Self-proclaimed equaliser. Yeah, exactly. Indeed. All right. Well, let's uh, let's leave that one there and move on to Stoke Leicester because this was a cracking game to start the uh, 
the football fiesta of uh, of a weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought when I watched this that, that all weekend it was just going to be goals, goals, goals. And <laughs> as you will learn as we go through this podcast, it wasn't quite that. But no, it's a, it's a great game and it's very, very, very open. And Leicester looked really strong again for the second week on the trot. And after taking the lead, you know, there was a good save from Butland from keeping them going 2 0 up. And, you know, they'd potentially kill the game off if that happens. But Stoke got back in it. And from there, you know, really, really was open. It was anyone's there to win. Yeah, that save from Butland. Um, from uh, from Okazaki I think yeah. it was in the first half was incredible now you might argue that it's just hit him but his positioning was Still absolutely there, spot on yeah yeah absolutely and you just he's such a consistent goalkeeper Jack Butland he's good in, in a lot of areas and I know that his, his distribution was questioned previously but he seems to be getting better and you look at the sort of form that Joe Hart's in it wouldn't surprise me if Butland was our number one going into the World Cup yeah, it'd be really, really interesting. But both keepers made some crucial saves. Uh, Schmeichel more so at the end of the game when Stoke were really piling on the pressure. But, you know, Stoke, I think they'll be disappointed to concede the second goal, personally. It was a, a bit of a nothing ball out to Mares on the right. And he's cut in almost unchallenged, really. He's kind of moved away from goal, beats the defender, cuts in and, and just scores effectively a pot shot. Yeah, I think I think Eric Peters gets caught the wrong side, doesn't he? And, yeah. and that's that's what... What allows him in there, and it was very similar to the um, to the Shakiri goal, um, similar sort of position from there. And um, you can't give Leicester space because they've got so much pace going forward that they'll exploit that. The likes of Vardy, the likes of Mares, Damari Gray, Okazaki, players like that. There seemed to be a hell of a lot of space here um, in this in this game for for both teams really. And I, I don't know whether that was a case of the defences playing too deep or, or or it is just the sheer pace of the attacking players, but. Um, this game has finished 2-2 three times in a row now yeah. um, and you just wonder how these teams can carry on with such open defences I mean maybe it's just one of those games where they sort of say right let's just throw caution to the wind and go for it and in other games they'll play more defensively minded but um, but another great spectacle and, and Peter Crouch obviously game seemed, changer seems like he can go on forever doesn't yeah. he I, I, I do wonder how long he can go on for because it's his, his game's not really about fitness it's not really about pace He's just a horrible object to play football against at times. And there's, there's He's not nobody, shrink, no, so. and, and and there's nobody like him in Europe. No. I, I honestly, I don't think that I've ever seen a player who is that size and manages to. To, to control a football so well, yeah. um, he's got got such a nice touch for a for, for a, a big, big man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old cliche, but yeah. Um, but yeah, a, cr- a cracking header, and he's 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 evergreen. He just seems to be able to go on forever, and 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 it wouldn't surprise me to see him sort of stay at the Premier League level for for, for another few years. I thought you were going to say go to the World Cup. Then I got very excited. I don't think we'll see <laughs> Peter Crouch going to the World Cup. No, unfortunately, it, it was a fair result in a game that either side could have easily won. A game that only one side was going to win was uh, West Ham. Liverpool and Liverpool were victors 4-1 away from home and uh, as we found out earlier today Slavin Bilic has lost his job uh, I wouldn't say as a, as a result of this game in particular but it certainly didn't help no I, I agree and let's just talk about Bilic before we before we talk about the game because I, I think that he's been um, incredibly honest throughout the whole process yeah. and, and he's never really shied away from an interview he's and maybe that's been his downfall. Maybe um, he needs to consider the way that he handles himself in the media, the way that he talks to the players, because ultimately he looked like a broken man. Not not after this game, but before it. And you sort of saw him shrugging his shoulders on the sidelines when things weren't going well. And it's not really the approach that you want from your from your from your manager. And as players, if you if you see the person that's supposed to be the leader of the team behaving in that manner, then it, it almost sort of looks like you can shirk the responsibility that you've got on the pitch as well. 
what worries me is that the the guy likely to come in is David Moyes, and he, he reminds me a little bit of, of how Bilic has been, you know, at Sunderland. Moyes, he, he didn't have that confidence in him, and, and to a certain extent at Manchester United as well, and towards the end of his Everton career. And, you know, for me, you only have to listen to what Sam Allardyce said the other night, and, you know, we can talk about Sam Allardyce's performance on Match of the Day and that shirt until the cows come home. But his point was, it's about the way that you play football at West Ham, and... I'm not sure Moyes is the man to do that, to be honest. And I'm, I'm equally not sure he's the one to kind of get them out of this mire that they've got themselves into. Well, no, I mean, he, he wasn't able to do it at Sunderland, yeah. wasn't he? And, and they Look sort they of, are now. Yeah, exactly. They, they, and West Ham, probably a similar-sized club to Sunderland. Yeah. Um, and you just wonder whether that's the right decision. You, I, I thought West Ham were quite a progressive club. I thought the appointment of Bilic was a good one because, obviously, he'd had some success managing Croatia and... Um, I think it's a backward step if they go for David Moyes. I agree with you. And, and, and it will be interesting to see what he's able to get out of that squad. Because on paper, they've got a top 10 squad. Yeah. Um, they've got some really decent players. But for whatever reason, Billich just wasn't able to get them playing. And I don't think that the crowd helps there. I think that the the stadium's toxic. That, and it's that, it's just, yeah. they've really struggled since they've, since they've gone to that ground. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's it's just... It's too much for them to to try and recreate the atmosphere that they had at the Bling Ground. Well, it's similar to you know Spurs going to Wembley. It's similar to Everton now at Goodison Park. If they're going to move, you know those grounds, White Hart Lane and Goodison Park, were very similar to the Bling Ground in the sense that they were you know on top of the players. The atmosphere just buzzed around the ground. There was no kind of gaps anywhere. And, you know, it really, really does play a part. And as we've just said about Everton, as we've just said about Chelsea, the fans in those two games have almost won the game for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and arguably, you could you could say that the West Ham fans are, are losing games yeah, for them. And, yeah. and, but let's, let's talk about the game, because I think that's important here, because Liverpool looked um, in, in, in unbelievable form. And when they click, they really click, don't they? Yeah, having Mane back made a huge, huge difference for them. You know, that, that front three with Salah and Firmino, Realistically, it's it's like we've said, similar to City to a certain extent. You know, the best form of defence is just to attack, and you fancy them to score goals anywhere they go. And you know, even if they come up against a, another Manchester United side that do what they did at Anfield a few weeks ago, nine times out of ten, I actually fancy them to score goals. I think it just wasn't quite their day. They needed a Mane that day as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he just brings a, a completely fresh impetus yeah. to that team. And I don't think there's a quicker front three than, than Salah, Firmino and, and, and Mane. And you saw that for the goals. I mean, the, the the first Liverpool goal came from a West Ham corner, didn't it? And it was just that that level of defending isn't good enough for that level of no. um, player. I, I think that I know that, that, that you're going to mention uh, something that Danny Murphy said shortly, but the the way that they were set up, it just wasn't correct. You consider how much pace there is in that Liverpool team and to leave what, one man on the halfway line against yeah. players with that much pace is just its just a silly decision and, and, and they were exploited time and time again. It is a silly decision and, and as you say, you know, Danny Murphy called it out and when I saw it as well, I, you know, I was glad that he did call it out. It was shocking to see that there was a defender who stopped running and it was just, you know, it... it you can forgive, you know, frailties in tactics every now and again, as long as you're going to give 100% effort. And, you know, if he's not playing for Billich, then he's not playing for Billich, and we see his performances potentially change when the new manager comes in. I'm not entirely sure that is the case, to be honest. And, you know, you've got someone like Winston Reid, who's 
probably not the quickest, overtaking you and, and you know running the furthest back out of anyone. You've got two players, one being Mark Noble, you can almost forgive to a certain extent because he's he is getting older, his legs aren't what they used to be. But Fernandez is a is a fit chap and he should be doing more to prevent that goal from going in. He doesn't doesn't do it to anything. It's absolutely shocking. Are you quite finished? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I hate bad defending. I just really hate it. And you know, it's it's such basic defending, not done very well. And you know, Joe Hart's made a couple of decent saves, and I, I feel a little bit for him at the moment because it, a lot of the pressure, given the fact that he's he's Joe Hart, is quite a big name. A lot of it does come onto his shoulders, but there's a hell of a lot of mistakes on that back line. You just wonder with Joe Hart, though, has he always been this bad and it's just that the defences that he's played behind previously have been better players than these than these West Ham ones? Yes and no. I mean, you think when he was at Birmingham, for instance, he, he was really, really good there. And then, obviously, when he's gone to Manchester City, they've won the league with a great defence, someone like Vincent Company in front of it, Marshall in it all. But, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, he he's always making an odd mistake, whether it be for England or whether it be for his clubs. Um, but, you know, it's very, very easy to look at this particular side at the moment that he's in and see the frailties. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that he, he, he will go to the World Cup purely on an experience uh, point of view, as long as obviously he stays injury-free. But um, he's he's one of those players in that West Ham side that you would expect to be able to really sort of step up and do something about this this performance. Um but then you see him in interviews after the game, and he, he he's very down and very. Um, he, they just look depressed as a club, yeah. and I, I think that the board have probably got a lot to to sort of do with that as well, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to be an interesting one to see who they get in. If it is David Moyes, we wish him the best of luck. But, Moyes out, get him out. <laughs> but we'll we'll also look forward to tearing him apart, no doubt as well. But um, we'll just have a quick break, and then we'll come back with the championship roundup, and also a massive game in Germany. Gary, who's tougher to face, Gary or Jamie? <laughs> can, I, can, I, can, I, can I just make a case for the defence first? This is the key part of the analysis on this. It's not the fact that Thierry Henry runs past him, Stefan Enchol runs past him. <laughs> 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 Thierry Henry, look at Enchol run past him. Welcome back to the Sweep Podcast and let's go to the Championship for a roundup. It's another great result for Wolves, a 2-0 win at home against Fulham on Friday, sees them top the table and trailing just two points behind them as Sheffield United who continue to impress. The 4-1 victory over struggling Hull at Bramwell Lane. It's fairly safe to say that the big-name gamble of bringing Leonard Schlutzky in is proving to be just an opportunity to laugh like children at his name. I was going to say, good pronunciation there. Thank you very like that, much. Yeah. I, I'm, I like saying Slutsky. It's, uh, it's all good fun. Um, meanwhile, Bristol City beat Cardiff 2-1 and Middlesbrough beat managerless Sunderland 2-1. That's a great result for Middlesbrough, actually. They've, they've won their last three and they look a lot more settled now and they're in the playoffs and uh, you know I think Gary Monk's building something similar to what he did at Leeds last year. But... As I've just said, managerless Sunderland. Simon Grayson lost his job last week after they couldn't get past fellow strugglers Bolton Wanderers. Anybody want that job? Do we think uh, it's such a poison chalice, isn't it? Yeah. And it's um, there's there's clearly something wrong again behind the scenes at yeah. that football club. And I know that Ellis Short's come out and said that he wants to sell the club, and apparently they were trying to sell it for 175 million, and now it's been valued at about 45. Well, he's, which is fair, yeah, but but he's he's not going to sell the club until it's worth more. So yeah. naturally, they're in this predicament where they're not able to get out of the, the the cycle that they're in due to the fact that the people behind the scenes aren't doing enough to support the uh, the on-field staff. And, and ultimately, the players have to take a huge amount of responsibility because their players are 
definitely good enough to be higher up in the league than this. Um, but there's, there's just been some strange decisions all around. And I know there's been talks of Ita Karanka going in there, the old um, Middlesbrough manager. But I, I think it needs a massive personality. The only person who's ever managed to to do anything at that football club over the past four or five years was Sam Allardyce. Yeah. Um, I don't think they'll go back there, but they need somebody like that. Um, Harry Redknapp's been linked as well. I think that would be a bad move. Um you just wonder who they're going to go for and, and wonder who fits that club. No, it's going to be a really interesting one to see. And, you know, we, we, we've always said we've got friends with Sunderland fans and, you know, having watched them over the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years and the way that they've progressed and then obviously gone backwards, it's a real, real shame to see that happen. And, you know, we've seen it happen to a number of clubs, but as it stands, they could be finding themselves in League One, which would be a massive, massive shame. Sometimes though, a, a club like that needs needs that to yeah, happen, yeah. Um, and 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 it can be the catalyst for things to turn round. But but at the moment, you just you haven't got a clue what's going to happen. Such a such a magnificent football club as well in terms of the support that they've got, and and those fans just are deserving of so much more. Yes, moving on, big wins for Nottingham Forest and Reading, who beat QPR and Derby respectively. And of course, there was a big win for Sheffield Wednesday, who beat Aston Villa 2-1 at Villa Park, and it just wasn't our day at all. Adam Reach scored an absolute hit-and-hope screamer from nearly 30 yards in the first minute, and from then it just went from bad to worse. We conceded again just after the 20-minute mark, and as well as this, just before then, John Terry went off with a suspected broken metatarsal. And, you know, Snodgrass went off injured, and it was just one of those games where nothing was going right for us, and... You know, we grabbed the consolation on the last kick of the game, which maybe helped a few accumulators and both the scores. But other than that, it was absolutely nothing for us. And it's a real shame because we probably put in our best performance of the season at Preston last week. Um, and to go from that to to this is, is a shame. But we're still in sixth. We're still in the playoffs. And, and the next fixtures are, are favourable to a point as ever in the championship. But it's an away game against QPR and home games against Ipswich and Sunderland. So, yeah, you, you never know. But international break come in is it going to be a positive or a negative the last two that we've had we've been slow to start um i'm i'd sort of like to know your thoughts on on losing john terry i mean is it is he going to be easy to replace or have you got players there that can step in what what, well, what are your thoughts chris samba came off the bench the other day so make of that what you will he he's looked good and you know he's earned himself a contract so from that perspective it's it's not a bad one but you know, where's he been for the last few years is the question you have to ask. And, you know, yes, he scored the goal and that's because he's been played as a makeshift striker for the last 15 minutes, which he has been earlier on in the season. But other than that, we've got Tommy Elphick. We let Nathan Baker go, who was who was great for us, but wanted to play first team football every week. So there's no complaints there. There's a lot of talk that we potentially have to bring someone in. And there's even the odd murmur that John Terry may not come back after this, which would be a massive loss for us because we pinned a lot of our hopes this season on him. But anyway, let, let's move on because it's just depressing thinking <laughs> about that prospect. Um, and let's move to Germany where, what a game yesterday. Hertha Berlin away at Wolfsburg. Yeah, three all this game finished and it was... That was nothing though, isn't I it? I was going to say, we talked about the Everton-Watford game earlier. I mean, this made it pale into insignificance. Yeah. It was unbelievable, this game. We had missed penalties, we had um, disallowed goals, we had six goals, we had uh, teams throwing away leads. It was yeah. just, it was it was one of the best games I've I've, I've watched all season. And um, you sort of thought Hertha might have been able to hold on when they were, I think they were 2-1 up at half-time and... Um, 
it, they just went to pieces again. And when Wolfsburg took the lead, you just sort of thought, right, same old Hertha. They're, they're going to pick up nothing on their travels yet again. But no, they uh, they managed to bring it back to three all, and 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 that that, that leaves them eleventh in the in the league. They're 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 not really where they'd want to be. They're six points away from the relegation zone, and they're uh, they're about four points away from the top six. So they'll still be looking up rather than over their shoulders. But um, some 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 massive performances in this game, and um, you would hope that this sort of performance could be the catalyst to start their, their, their season in terms of their away form because it's been really, really poor. Nice to see Divock Origi getting on the score sheet for, uh, for, for Wolfsburg. I had absolutely no idea that's where he was. <laughs> and, and they obviously want to sort of make that move permanent, which is, which is good for him because he's obviously struggled at Liverpool. But, but yeah, never a dull moment in the Bundesliga. And obviously with the, with the introduction of VAR over there, it's just been um, just talking points every week, really, which you... you, you potentially would see swept under the carpet in another league which isn't using that technology but talk us through the rest of Germany because a lot happened this weekend didn't it? Yeah there was a arguably the biggest game of the season was set Borussia Dortmund who hosted Bayern Munich and Bayern won 3-1 it's a, a really impressive away victory and they've uh, obviously had some indifferences this year they've, they've changed their manager even Carlo Ancelotti's uh, been shown the door which kind of says a lot really of the standards of that club but you know it now leaves them four points clear of RB Leipzig who themselves notched up a 2-1 win uh, against European qualification seeking Hanover um, and Hamburg as well lifted themselves out the relegation zone and we've said before that they're, they're a big club that don't necessarily belong down there but an impressive 3-1 win against Stuttgart is nothing to be sniffed at and uh, and also Hoffenheim beat rock bottom Cologne uh, or Cologne three uh, one away from home to keep their Champions League aspirations alive and it's, it's, it's desperate times down the bottom of the league. Yeah, and, and talking of European football, um, I, I forgot to mention that that Hertha got a a, a much needed win in the yes, Europa League, didn't did. they, in the week? And um, that that sort of leaves them back in contention for for potential qualification. That group's incredibly tight now. I think any one of the four teams could go through. So be interesting to see how the, how they sort of get that campaign back on the uh, back on the rails after the international break. Come on, de lads, de lads, indeed. Right, join us after the break where we will give you the rest of the Premier League roundup and uh, I'll give you a hint, there's a lot of 1-0s. Yeah, it's going to be quick. It's, yeah, it's all 1-0s. It promises to be another special Champions League evening and here to enjoy it all with us are Rio Ferdinand, Stephen Gerrard and Ian Wright. All three have had their hands on this trophy, Rio and Stephen in Moscow and Istanbul respectively. And Ian, when he walked into the studio this <laughs> evening... <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking forward to that all day. <laughs> oh, you should have said when I walked to the and grabbed the back of your head. Hello and welcome back to part three of the Sweeper podcast and it's time to sum up the Premier League. Now, not a lot happened in these <laughs> games so we're going to be as concise as possible. Um, but let's kick it off with Spurs 1, Crystal Palace 0. Um, massive three points for Spurs and I think that's probably what they'll take out of this game rather than anything else yeah just the three points that is it, uh, it, it not a great performance um, Crystal Palace were unlucky not to get something from this game really it was a game devoid in any real chances and real opportunities and you know off the back of a 3-1 win at, uh, against Real Madrid last week you expected Spurs to be quite buoyant 
Um, but they were very spursy and uh, they weren't buoyant at all. Ali was missing and I think that possibly showed as well. I think there was there was some space at, at times that wasn't quite exploited and, and obviously Kane looked a little isolated too and, and actually went off, didn't he, with, with about 15 to go. That's right, yeah. And, and we've talked about Dele Alli quite a lot this, this season and how his goal-scoring form's maybe not been as good as it has been in previous seasons. But, but he just brings so much more yeah. than that to that team, doesn't he? He, he, he links the defence and attack wonderfully well and... Um, noticeable when 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 a player like that is taken out of a out of a, a top team that they will generally struggle and and they'll be hoping that he's not out for too long. But um, yeah, Palace could could probably take quite a lot more out of this game than Tottenham, yeah. which which sounds strange given the fact that obviously they've come off um, off it with 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 nothing to show really. And and Roy Hodgson will be really pleased with how they performed defensively. I thought that Sacco had a great game at the back and they just look so much more solid under Hodgson, much more so than they did under under uh, De Boer. Yeah, it's, I mean, if we go back to the Spurs goal, lovely finish from Son. I, I think he could only put it in one place, couldn't he? And and he managed to do that. And I think, you know, that was the, the difference yesterday. It was that just that little bit of quality that Spurs obviously had. And they also got, as I was saying, they got very lucky and, you know, it's one of, one of your old pals, Gazaniga, came in. Um, we obviously saw him at Southampton and it was an absolute calamity, wasn't it? I'm fuming. I don't understand who this guy is because <laughs> when he was at Saints, he was absolutely terrible to the point where he became our fourth choice goalkeeper and there was somebody in their early 40s ahead of him in the pecking order. And you just wonder how it's possible for somebody to, to undergo such a change. Um, I mean, he, he must be working with a hell of a goalkeeping coach at Tottenham or he's just got massively lucky. He is garbage, and I, I genuinely think that that was somebody else in his shirt. <laughs> well, I, I was surprised to see him there, to be honest. I'd kind of forgotten about him, and obviously you will have been a lot closer to it than I will have. But I, I then found out that he's from the same place Pochettino's from in Argentina, mm-hmm. and after the game as well, he said that he was really pleased for him and his family. Are they all pals? Is that how he's got in? I it, It's one of those, isn't it? Who who does like when Harry Redknapp would go to a club, he'd take Jamie along with him, <laughs> yeah. Steve Bruce and Alex Bruce. Maybe like Gazaniga's one of Pochettino's kids. Maybe yeah. yeah, maybe maybe like he's fathered him, and as part of the maintenance payments, that's like an agreement he has to play for that <laughs> club. But um, yeah, Spurs fans, believe me, he's not that good. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll be playing that much more anyway. But uh, yeah, let's let's move on to another one nil. And uh, Brighton won away at Swansea, 1-0. Um, a fantastic result for Brighton, though. And, you know, they'll be absolutely delighted with this win. Second win on the bounce, away from home, eight points. Uh, and unbeaten in the last four games as well. Yeah, they're up in eighth as well, yeah. which um, Glenn Murray sort of came out after the game and said that they'd surpassed their own expectations. And they've looked so solid. There was a lot of talk from people at the start of the season that Brighton were going to finish bottom and that would sort of be um, their one season in the uh, in the promised land. And, and it had all come crashing down, but they've, they've looked so good. And, and Glenn Murray's obviously somebody that you can really hang your hat on as a, as a striker, somebody that will do all of the sort of donkey work. And it wasn't a pretty goal, was it? But it, 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 it got the points and that's all that matters. The, the cross was fantastic though. He didn't really have anything to do, did he? Knockout put the ball in. Murray literally walked it in. Um, so yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, that wasn't the only ball that, that Knockout put in. I think it's taken him, uh, you know, he was injured at the start of the season. I think it's taken him some time to, to get into it. But now he's really showing that class that people knew he had in the championship. But Brighton got some tough fixtures coming up. Um, but I think they are interspersed with some winnable games for them that they can potentially nick some points from. So Stoke and Palace and Liverpool at home, Manchester United, Spurs and Huddersfield away. You know, there's there's possibly three out of the six games that they'll be looking to get 
you know, six to nine points from, and, and that would be massive for them in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely, um, and and then you look at the other end of the scale, you look at Swansea, and they just look devoid of confidence. There was a shot on um, Match of the Day at one point where Paul Clement and Claude McAuley were sat side by side, sort of eyes down, didn't really yeah. know what to do, and, and they, they, they just don't look to... To, to be able to find a way of clicking at home. They really struggle um, with the home form and, and they just look completely toothless without Sigurdsson and um, Lorente and they're going to have to have a hell of a tran- transfer window in January or, or or they could quite easily slip out of the, the the Premier League. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they've, you know, they've lost seven and six of them have been by one goal and you question, does that mean they're, they're actually close and in games or are they lucky? Or, you know, I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. Other than the fact, I actually think they've just got a really poor squad. And yeah, I, I think actually the the one nils are quite flattering to them at times as well. Yeah, I agree. Fabianski's a great keeper. Yeah. Um, somebody who's done really well since he's since he's moved on from Arsenal, and um, he he keeps them in games. And you sort of saw this on Saturday as well. He made quite a quite a lot of really impressive saves. There was there was one from Lewis Dunk which which looked destined for the back of the net. And you wonder whether that's just sort of papering over the uh, the ever widening cracks that that, yeah. that they find down on the. Uh, South coast of Wales. Yes, and, and speaking of massive goalkeeper performances, Huddersfield won 1-0 at home to West Brom, and, and their keeper, Lursel, was unbelievable at the end of the game. I think uh, uh, David Wagner's very much gone over to him at the end of the game and, and given him all the plaudits, and rightly so. Yeah, he's somebody that came under quite a lot of criticism recently. I can't remember what game it was in, but it was where he sort of passed the ball yeah. out, and uh, Huddersfield conceded pretty much directly from that. And um, you just, you sort of look at, the, the team spirit that David Wagner's got going on there and, and, and you realise that he won't let players um, get too down about those th- those yeah. mistakes and he will try and put confidence back into the players and, and yeah you saw that in this um, in this goalkeeping display because he pretty much single-handedly gave, gave them the points didn't he? He did but a lovely goal from Raj- Rajiv Van Lepara there was very little pressure on him but he still managed to pick probably the, the best spot that you can pick uh, very much the, uh, the the postage stamp, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. And and a player that uh, I didn't really know a huge amount no. up until he came um, came through with with Huddersfield, and somebody that has been um, quality for the majority of the season for them, really. And and obviously they're having to find goals from other places since uh, Mounier's been injured, and um, a massive three points for them. It's it's sort of got under the radar really how how well they've 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 done overall and obviously the Manchester United game aside there's probably a few games that people haven't talked about as much but it it just shows the strength and depth that they've got that that they they continue to score goals they continue to keep clean sheets and if you do that you'll stay in the league and I think they'll be happy to be under the radar as well I think that's the 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 kind of style they're looking to go for but quick word on West Brom and, and in particular Tony Pulis he's under massive pressure and I think this has gone under the radar for me a little bit. They've won two out of the last 19 games overall, and it's, it's really poor. And I think even he's admitted now that he is under pressure, and I think, you know, naturally he kind of takes criticism on the chin, but he does know when he's in when he's in the shit. Yeah, I think he's um, he's come out and said that this is the hardest um, sort of time during his management career. Now, yeah. for somebody who's managed a lot of clubs down... Um, in sort of the bottom five, six positions in the Premier League. That's quite a big statement to make. Um, West Brom looked devoid of a leader. And I think letting Darren Fletcher go to Stoke in the summer is something that Pulis will have been incredibly unhappy about because he's the sort of player who, in this sort of run, will get the players together um, 
and try and get that extra 10% that you need to turn the four round because West Brom against Southampton were awful. Um, we were incredibly lucky to win that game, but they were, they were terrible. And, and, and you just wonder whether these more progressive coaches um, who have come into the league, the likes of Chris Hewton, David Wagner, are they overtaking the style that, that, that Pulis has got? And is, is this going to be the season where, where finally a team that he manages is, is relegated? Potentially, and I mean, ultimately, you only have to look at the fact they played 5-3-2 with three holding midfielders. No disrespect to Huddersfield, but away at Huddersfield, you know, that's the sort of game that you'd want your team to go on and, and try and win, especially when they go, you know, they go down 10 men with an with 30 minutes to play. Go for it. And, you know, fair enough, the keepers made some very good saves at the end, but very, very poor from West Brom. And I think, you know, they will be looking... Uh, potential options now I would imagine that you know they're probably not a club that would bite the bullet and fire a manager that quick but desperate times potentially absolutely and desperate times for Bournemouth had they not got a 92nd minute winner away at Newcastle Um, obviously another 1-0 in this game and um, yeah the Cherries will be absolutely sort of dreaming after this because you sort of look at their run of form and, and some of the games that they've got coming up they could have been sort of Really, really, really struggling down down at the bottom of the Premier League. And obviously, Eddie Howe, you sort of saw the look on his face at the end of that game. So much relief in actually getting the three points and um, sort of having something to build on now because Bournemouth have, have almost taken one step forward and two back throughout this season so far. And they'll be hoping that, that this will sort of spark a run of form for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they would definitely view it as a turning point. I think, you know, they had quite a lot of chances, particularly in the second half, and they just weren't going in. Elliot was making some good saves, and it was potentially going to be one of those frustrating days where they take nothing away from it. You know, they potentially even lose, but it's a huge win for them. You know, as I said, both sides actually had chances in the first half. Newcastle had ch- uh, chances, and Begovic was, was on top form. And, you know, that's what you need. You need performances from those players, and... They've got players back from injuries that, again, are, are making them look a lot stronger. Newcastle will be very disappointed. Gale was wrongly called offside and, you know, it, it wasn't their day and it was Bournemouth's and it was just one of those where it, it swings either way. Yeah, absolutely. And and they'll be looking to sort of take a, a huge amount from this game because Newcastle played quite well um, and, and Bournemouth were obviously managed to sort of keep them out for the majority of the game. Begovic had his best game of the season. I think he's struggled for form since he's gone down there and um, yeah, massive, massive three points. And and, and another 1-0 away win. Yes, guess the score, 1-0. That I don't really want to talk about is uh, Southampton nil, Burnley won. And we struggled big time in this game. I, I, I want you to talk about Burnley because um, I think they deserve a huge amount of credit. And the likelihood is if I talk about it, I'm just going to be jealous and um, not really give them any, any sort of praise that they deserve. Yeah, well, you know, it's a perfect away performance from Burnley, I think. You know, Dyche made the changes when he sniffed out a result and he put two up top and changed the pattern of the game. And and to be fair, I, I said to you before that, it, frustratingly for you, of course, that I, I, that's possibly the best I've seen Southampton play this season. Some of the football was fantastic and Buffal retained his place and Redmond came in as well and there was that, that extra, you know, burst of attacking option they had. But end product was just really, really poor. And, and to be fair, Nick Pope, again, um, has, has made some really good saves and, and kept Burnley in the game and was superb. And he's kept five clean sheets out of eight games, which is phenomenal. Yeah, it's massive. We talked about how big a loss Tom Heaton would pen, uh, yeah. potentially be for Burnley. And we we almost thought their season could be over um, with such a big injury. But Pope's come in and, again, a player that I knew very, very little about yeah. prior to him. Um, Prior to this run of form, and yeah, he looked he looked brilliant on Saturday, literally unbeatable. And um, we 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 sort of 
did what we normally do and that, that was create a hell of a lot of chances and not score any of them. And uh, something needs to change for Southampton because we have got a horrendous run of games coming up. Three of our next five are uh, Manchester City away and we're, we've also got Arsenal and Liverpool in there. Now, you wouldn't expect us to pick up anything from those three games. So naturally, if other teams do, we're going to find ourselves a lot closer to the relegation zone. And um, I don't understand why Pellegrino doesn't play with two strikers. It's not working the current formation. Gabbiadini is completely isolated up top on his own. Put Charlie Austin in with him. Yeah. Give him a chance. Somebody who... Yes, might not give you a huge amount defensively, but that's not what he's there for. That's what you looked like you were crying out for the other day. You were constantly getting the ball into the box or in and around the box, and someone like Charlie Austin will pick that up and he will he'll have a go. He'll have a go from 25 yards out of the Aston. Yeah, and that's what we need. Um, I think that Fraser Forster's come in for criticism again in this game, and, and like we said a couple of weeks ago, it's almost like we're talking about him week yep. in, week out, which is never a good sign for a goalkeeper unless they're keeping clean sheets like Tom Pope. And... Um, sorry, Nick Pope, and we just we just struggle when it comes to 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 understanding exactly what's going wrong with Forster because it seems that errors creep into his game in every single sort of facet of the goalkeeper makeup. And you look at his kicking is poor. You look at his closing down is poor. His his um, when he when he's supposed to come and claim a cross, he doesn't do it. He doesn't close his near post down well. He was on his heels on Saturday rather than his toes, and that sort of showed it. It, it was a calamitous effort, at something that you would expect the majority of goalkeepers in the Premier League to save. And it's a really difficult one for Saints because I don't think they've got anyone to to challenge him, and I don't think they've got anyone to come in and do any better than 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 him. And Stuart Taylor's certainly not the answer. <laughs> um, I'm not sure Alex McCarthy is either, and it wouldn't surprise me to see Southampton go for that position. In a big way in the uh, in the transfer window, I, I think that we're already looking at that because the fans are, are constantly sick of of the manner that 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 we seem to concede goals in. But let's not take anything away from Burnley. Great header from Vokes for the goal, and you know they've shown a number of occasions this year they can claw out that result by just whipping the ball in the box and fighting until the final whistle. It's the simple things sometimes that make the big difference, and they showed on Monday as well in, in the game that we obviously didn't get a chance to cover because we've recorded already, but it's a 1-0 win against Newcastle. They'll take 1-0 wins all day long if it gets them up the table, out the relegation zone and safe. And credit to Sean Dyche for recognising that you can do the simple things and, and do well. And to be fair, that's why the clubs are sniffing around after him as well. Yeah, what do you reckon? Do you think he could go to Everton? Um, I, the difficulty with Burnley is that how far does he realistically get to take them? Um Realistically, if they sit in the Premier League for another season or two, then who says they can't push on and do more? Um, whether he should take that opportunity to stay there or not, I'm not sure. And I think he he should maybe go and test himself at a higher level. And Everton at the moment are in a really good position in the sense that they've got money to spend. They've got a new ground on the way at some point. They're in a really progressive stage in the, in their kind of lifespan. And why wouldn't you go and take that opportunity unless you just want the kind of safer route out? Yeah, it's a difficult one because you you could potentially argue that he's taken Burnley as far as he can. Um, But then equally, you look at where they are in the league and you think, well, actually, what's to stop them sustaining that that push all season? Now, I for one don't think they will finish in the top six, but they've got the same amount of points as teams like Arsenal and Liverpool. Um, And from that point of view, you have to sort of wonder whether it is possible to, to, to do it on a longer 
sort of time frame. And I, I hope Deitch doesn't leave Burnley because you've seen it so many times before. Look at David Moyes. Yeah, left yeah. Everton, went to a went to a much bigger club, and, and and really struggled. And look at his management career now. I think that. Dyke should stay with Burnley at least till the end of the season and, and, and maybe think about going in the summer where naturally there will be a Premier League job available. Yeah, absolutely. This man- managerial merry-go-round certainly one to, to talk about and look at over the next few weeks because I think it's going to be crucial for a few clubs. But let's just move on away from the Premier League and onto the quiz. Welcome back to the final part of the Sweeper podcast. And Michael, how can people get in touch with us? It's a very good question and one that I will answer in the following manner. So we've got the option of Twitter. We are at the Sweeper pod. We've also got Instagram, the Sweeper podcast. Uh, On Facebook, we are the Sweeper podcast. And our email address is thesweeperpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. A um, few people have been getting in touch and um, we've had some, some more nice reviews on, uh, on iTunes as indeed. well. So by all means, get, get your, your podcast from, uh, from either iTunes or SoundCloud. If you do subscribe on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. Um, and five stars is very much appreciated. We, uh, yeah, we really like your feedback, so, so please do continue to get in touch. But without any further ado... Let's move on to the latest round of everyone's favourite quiz. And uh, the current scores are 11 to myself and 10 to Mitch. And it's my turn in the hot seat this week. So, Mitch, uh, we're going to continue on the theme of historical elements of football teams in the Premier League and the Championship. So, Mitch will give me five clues and I will aim to guess right. So, over to you, buddy. Yes, I think it's the last week on this topic, isn't it? So we're going to have to think of something new. So by all means, suggestions. If anyone's got a suggestion for the next four weeks, throw it our way. Been much appreciated. But for now, this club, for clue number one, were founded in 1878 at the Town Hall after a meeting which was instigated by T.C. Cobbold of the famed Brewing family. Burton Albion. Is incorrect, but I knew you'd go for that. Ah, no, the Brewers, unfortunately not. But I see your logic. I see your logic there. So the next clue: they have played at their current stadium for 133 years, and it's hosted one senior England match against Croatia in 2013. Oh my God! On the Grand Tour, while Wembley was out of action. Um, is it Everton? Is incorrect. Unlucky. Unlucky. But this might help you. In the top flight, for the first time, they became champions of the Football League at the first attempt in 1961-62 season. Their only top flight championship. That's annoying, because I was going to say Leicester until you said that (laughs) thing right at the end. Um, And obviously it's not Leicester. Um, I am going to go for Newcastle United. Is incorrect. Another good guess, though. Clue number four. So this is my last chance of points. Yes. Or one point. The club have had two managers who've left to go and famously manage England. 
One won their only league type in 1962, as we've just learned, and the other won their other famous trophy, the UEFA Cup in 1981. I am really struggling on this one. Um, do you know the one that I keep going back to? It's the um, the question about the international. Because I'm, I'm trying to think of which, which ground would have hosted it. Um, and I'm sort of thinking like a, a top 10 Premier League club, but I, I'm, I'm guessing that's probably not going to be the case. Um, let's go... Think of two famous England managers. Yeah, I mean, that's not helping me. I'll go for Ipswich Town. It's correct. Oh, there you go. There you go. Alf Ramsey won the title. And Bobby Robson, the UEFA Cup in 1981. It's funny, though, because I, I, I would never have realised that there was an international play at Portman Road. Well, it, there was. Against Croatia, 2013. Oh, yeah. The final clue was the longest-serving club in the Championship, having now been there for 15 years and counting. And they also have the longest-serving manager in the Championship, with Mick McCarthy being there for nearly six years. Big Mick, yeah. He gets some uh, some flat from the fans, but they're doing all right this season, aren't they? I'll, yeah. uh, I'll take that one point. And, uh, yeah, join us next week for... Uh, for a new quiz topic, and Mitch will have chance to close the two-point gap. Indeed, and next week's going to be a slightly different show, as it's uh, an international break, isn't it? So, it's a couple of decent-looking England friendlies that we'll be able to talk about, and obviously some other international football, and, and potentially some lower league action as well. Yeah, and just before we go, I just want to mention my experience that I had at yes, Bradford City on uh, on Saturday. I, I, I went to watch Bradford City against Chesterfield, first round of the FA Cup, went down there with my parents, and um, we love going to... To, to any football, really, we'll go and watch. And um, can I just say what a fantastic football club that is? Um, yeah. From literally everybody that we met there during the day, uh, incredibly friendly, great crowd. There was only, I think, 4,800 there, but really good noise from the fans. And um, Stuart McCall's got them playing some decent football. Chesterfield looked all right as well. But if you do get a chance to visit, um, I was going to say Valley Parade, which is what I'm going to call it. Because, Parade, it? Um, yeah, I don't like using... The uh, sort of the the names that the, the grounds are given um, when it comes to sponsorship deals, but but it was it was just a great day out, and and yeah, if you get a chance, then then get yourself down there. It was uh, five pound for for concessions and ten pound for adults to get in, which is a brilliant sort of pricing structure to see that level of football, really. Absolutely. And um, it, it's 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 a it's a, it's a great club, and and yeah, hopefully they'll they'll get up from League One this season. I think that they've they've got all the facilities to be able to play in the championship and um, obviously Stuart McCall will be, be doing his utmost. But yeah, great day out and uh, best of luck to both of those teams in the uh, in the rest of the season. I'd like to see them go up just so Stuart McCall can fall off a car again. Oh, do you know what? We, <laughs> we, we need to tweet that video out yes, for anyone who's not seen it. It's one of the funniest footballing moments you will ever view. Yes, it's absolute gold dust. But for now... We will leave you, and thank you very much, Mike. It's been a pleasure. As always, yeah, I look forward to talking to you all next week. Goodbye. Indeed. Auf Wiedersehen. You are expecting me to say which one? The dildo problem. Okay. It's funny. Made me laugh.